Occupy a Job on Wall Street is an autobiographical novel about New York City in the aughts, centering around a protagonist mentored by sociopaths. This episode is the fifth and final in a series. Episode 80, Goose's Day Off. Everything happens for a reason. Normally, that reason is that you're stupid and make bad decisions. But bad decisions make for good stories. So here goes. I still work on Wall Street, and indeed love just about everything about the business. But it's fair to say that my hustle peaked years ago. With the benefit of hindsight, after your career tops out, there are a variety of things you can do to mitigate the subsequent fall, but naturally I did none of those. Instead, I made a series of self-destructive yet entertaining moves that hastened my eventual defenestration from the highest levels of Wall Street. The worse my situation got, the more furiously I dig my hole. As I was energetically flushing my reputation down the toilet, our good friend Goose was on the up and up. As we've detailed previously, he worked for Google, but they didn't appreciate him running around naked at their corporate retreats, nor the fact that he was banging any important female clients. On Wall Street back then, however, these sorts of skills were in high demand. If you walked into a strip club with an account, you needed to know someone like Goose to get waved over by Kid Rock. If you were at SL or another after-hours club, having Mark Cuban come out of nowhere to tackle one of your crew was like a shot in the arm for everyone. The first firm to recognize Goose's idiosyncratic skill set was a place called Baycrest. Baycrest knew, if you want to sell, you have to spend. It's as simple as that. Also, the principals of this brokerage were shrewd judges of character and rightly considered that their compliance department was really just a business prevention unit, so they gave Goose wide reign to sign up new accounts and let this guy go out to make mistakes. After all, boundless, mindless enthusiasm in your own prospects is how genius is born. The last time I saw Goose was just a few days before he drank himself to death in a shitty New Orleans bar. He had acquired U.S. Open tickets and a reservation at the sort of place where a hamburger is more expensive than a cheeseburger on the menu. I'd been trying to tell him I was under huge pressure at work and couldn't take a day off, but if you knew Goose, you also knew there's no getting out of plans with him. I know he'll keep calling me. He'll keep calling me until I come over. He'll make me feel guilty. But even approaching our reservation at midday, I'm indecisive. New management is circling, waiting for us to screw up. I'm sitting at my desk. My AOL is pinging. He's emailing me YouTube videos, texting me worst friend ever, over and over. He's relentless. This is, this is ridiculous. Okay, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go with, I'll go, shit. God damn it. As I bail out of the lobby of my building, the morning sun hits my face. I didn't realize how much my office had become like a museum. It's very beautiful and very cold, and you're not allowed to touch anything. The relief to get out of there is palpable. The sun warms my forehead. It's like being touched by God. I jump on the end train and bail out on 8th. Walk west and Goose is waiting for me with a couple of girls at the restaurant. I was only 15 minutes late, but as always, he'd use the time productively to meet any and everyone who wandered into his orbit. I break out into a smile and see him sitting there like that. How could I have possibly been expected to handle work on a day like this? And then I take a seat and Goose breaks off his game with the sisters to greet me. Gummy bear? They've been sitting in my pocket. They're really warm and soft. As a sign of my commitment to a full day's mayhem, I take two and ask him what he had in store for us. Goose tells me, 
The question isn't what are we going to do. The question is what aren't we going to do. Now I know Goose doesn't actually have a plan, just poor impulse control. That's fine with me. We make small talk about business so that his firm can pick up the tab. In a nutshell, I hate my boss. The man could squash my nuts into oblivion. I'm veering between obstinance and obsequience at the office. But I've never been very good at the latter. And besides, you can't respect someone who kisses your ass. It just doesn't work. And every day, I die a little there. With his usual pithiness, Goose waves away my complaints, says, I'm not dying, that I just can't think of anything good to do. It wasn't until the third beer before the gummy bears kicked in and washed all my work concerns away. Then we went to a couple more bars after that. One of them was black tie, but that's literally the only thing the girls there were wearing. At the U.S. Open, we watched Djokovic save two match points against Federer on his way to his first Grand Slam. The atmosphere was electric, and no one was louder than Goose. The aftermath of a legendary sports match is hard to describe. It's almost a religious experience. It's even been shown that when the local sports team wins, it actually raises the testosterone levels of all the males on the winning side. Djokovic and the eight lines of coke he's done in the bathroom have Goose bouncing up and down as we wait for someone to take us back to the city, and it's all I can do to stop him dry-humping the driver when she turns up. It's in the car that Goose turns and says he has a belated birthday present for me, then pulls out a wooden device with a little crank in it. It's known as a magic flight box. Think of this as something Geppetto would have invented if he was a stoner. It's a brand new way to do drugs. I always smoke weed. Unless, of course, I get blackout drunk and forget to smoke weed. I'm excited. We have a good rap going on with the driver, and this is before Uber, so when you booked a black car at a corporate event, you had them for the rest of the night. We pack the flight box with some sativa, and Goose shows me how the battery heats it up, and then together, we do one of the first vapor hits in New York City. I'm on my eighth or so beer and fourth gummy and trying to recall doing lines of coke off a toilet seat at the U.S. Open. I barely feel the flight box hit before I'm reminded of an invite from CLSA to the annual Glenview Casino Night. The hedge fund is on fire recently, so there might be big names there. But more importantly, we can waltz right in and who knows, maybe Goose can make an impression on some of the traders. This event turned out to be a big deal. Wall Street loves to gamble, but it was also a crossover from an entire culture that had been driven underground since a high-profile murder at a poker club a few years before. The Mayfair, Straddle, Diamond Club, Fairview, Genoa, all these places had passed on, but there was always the veneer that you were carrying on that tradition, despite it being sanitized as goodwill by the grudging approval of the city. The Edison Ballroom security guards eye us warily as we check in. One of them trails us as I look for my CLSA sales trader, and I begin to struggle a little under the pressure of all the chemicals so recently ingested. Unbidden, I realize the act of walking is really just a controlled fall. I wonder when I'm going to lose my shit and wipe out and whether it will be disturbingly hilarious or hilariously disturbing for the players around us when I do. Not Goose, though. His antics have really kicked him into a good place, happy as a dog with two dicks. He's licking the glass in the elevator and making obscene gestures with his hands at the security guard. When I see him, I tell him that he's gone too far, we're gonna get busted. Goose meets the guard's eyes and says, A, you can never go too far. B, if I'm gonna get busted, it is not gonna be by a guy like that. This breaks the spell and I remember my role in the story. I'm top of the food chain and still young and dumb enough to enjoy being there. Some Wall Street salesmen recognize us and begin circling. There's a couple of customer laughs at our moronic commentary. 
Suddenly, we want drinks and girls and more drugs and maybe a card game, in that order. The sales guys scatter away with their marching orders. The way the Glenview charity worked was whatever your ticket donation was, that's how many fake chips you'd get to play Hold'em. We had a couple of door entries from CLSA. They cost maybe 300 each. The person next to us might have donated 50k, so there's no way you're winning more than a couple of hands. Any of these guys can just scare you out of the game. We're standing around waiting for our spot when a Glenview trader comes by, sees Goose, and tells us he decided to bag the event for one of his more expensive habits, and did we want some chips? Now, this guy was a Wall Street legend. He got his start in the back office at Omega and was everything you'd expect from a big swinging dick on Wall Street, except the fact that he wasn't a douchebag. The best table we can play at has executives from hedge funds that ran hundreds of millions. Not billions, but I could barely beat a five-year-old at Snap right now, so it doesn't matter. But not Goose. A succession of people left him like 5k in chips, and suddenly he's on a streak, taking people out like Maestro in the Empire City. Three hours later, he's at the final couple of tables. Larry Robbins is across the way. Now that much high-stakes poker would exhaust anyone, but Goose has a gleam in his eye and he's not going to be stopped. He needs a break, though, and asks me for the magic flight box. Takes the thing to the bathroom for a couple of hits and walks out with it in his pocket. As he sits down, the vape rubs up against one of his spare batteries, and there's some sort of chemical reaction. The batteries get hotter and hotter, and when he shifts his leg uncomfortably, it suddenly melts onto his ball sack. Here's where Goose goes berserk. Goose screams like a whore in church. He heaves the table over, sending chips everywhere, and rips the flight box out of his trousers. It clatters along the floor towards a circling waitress who leans down to pick it up, and Goose bowls her over to stop her burning her hand. What can I say? The guy's been called a gentleman, but he's not a gentleman. And then security freak out and are all over us. We get pulled into a room out back, and in my adult state, I think we're going to get the hammer, but only the meat get pinched. The bold survive. Security just screams at us all for a while, and then they photograph everyone's ID on the way out. It was all a little childish and stupid, but then again, so is Wall Street. The rest of the night was a blur. Lotus, Bungalow 8, Tenjun, The Box, One Oak, Provocateur, Avenue. At one or another of those, that was the last time I saw my friend. Carl Jung told us, you're in a story whether you know it or not. This is a concept you can think about for a year and still not wrap your head around properly. However, to some extent, the life that you find yourself living is not entirely yours. Several of Matt's family died early with heart issues, for instance, so his story was always likely to have a tragic end. But he devoted his limited years to setting up the world around him so that it was the best it could possibly be for himself and his friends. He knew where he was. He knew who he wanted to be with and where he wanted to go. Now, Matt was never playing the sort of three-dimensional chess people like to ascribe to successful life choices. More often than not, he was just eating the pieces. Certainly when it came to women, he was like a U-boat captain, focused on sinking as much tonnage as possible. And when it came to drinking and drugs, well, a little water is a drink, but a lot of water is a shipwreck when you have a family history like his. But the business of life is simply the acquisition of memories. That's all there is. 
And by that measure, Goose was a man in full. The morning after our big day out, a salesman from Colin Stewart invited me to play golf at Sleepy Hollow. I have an important meeting with my boss. I know I shouldn't go. But it's sunny outside. Fuck it. Episode 81 of Occupy a Job on Wall Street will be out soon. And hey, take a day off. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't look around once in a while, you might miss it. You're still here? It's over.